Hello world and thank you for joining me today. This is Shelley Shearer and you are listening to the podcast Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, where if I've experienced it, I'm going to share it with you. If I've learned it, I'm going to tell you about it and always some education along the way. Good morning world, Shelly Shearer here and I hope you are having a fantastic day. Welcome to Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda, the podcast on just about any subject and I'm going to prove that today because my guest today is actually in the IT business. I know, nothing I've really spoken on before. Todd Kane is a gentleman that I've known for many years. I am privileged to call him friend. He was a co-worker and he is a fellow business associate. In fact, both him and his wife have been co-workers of mine in the past as we all worked at Bell Canada for a, for a period of time, which I have mentioned in prior podcasts. Ed has led many technical groups for several large and high growth companies in Western Canada, making him very, very sought after in the IT world. Experience with companies like Encana, Canada, sorry, Canadian Natural Resources Limited, WestJet, Bell Canada, which I know him from, Longview Systems, and Fully Managed. His work has been recognized with numerous awards, both technical and business, Microsoft, Small Business BC, Globe and Mail, and Venture Magazine. But what makes Todd exceptional in his line of work, as far as I'm concerned, and why we work so well together at Bell, is he is another outside-the-box thinker. He truly believes that there is a way and there's usually a logical way to get there without everyone spending billions of dollars, which I always appreciated when I worked at Bell and I worked with him. So if you could all just give me, help me give a warm welcome to Mr. Todd Kane. Todd, welcome to the show. I am thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for joining us on Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Awesome to be here. Thanks for your, inviting me. No problem. So I've asked some questions for you, as you can imagine, because our audience would like to know uh, a little bit more about business. It's something I have not been podcasting on a lot the last little bit. I seem to have got off into one of my health tangents for whatever reason. And I'd like to kind of bring the podcast back to some of the more financial business IT stuff that is also part of my background. And my first question to you is, what is your personal mission? What happened? So uh, my background, uh, I'm working in IT and just sort of happened my way into uh, business. And, you know, I, I was the neighborhood geek that, uh, <laughs> you know, was fixing other people's computers and uh, in the neighborhood. And those people also ended up having some businesses that they needed some support with and worked my way uh, from the home support to the uh, to the office support and uh, started my, my IT career. And as I worked my way through IT and businesses, it was always sort of amazing to me that no matter where you went, there was uh, businesses and especially IT departments were in some level of broken. And oh, yes. Yeah. That has certainly been my experience. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a really common thing that, that you know, you, even from the outside, the most successful businesses that you view uh, are, you know, scrambling on the inside and dealing with sort of constant pressures and different uh, internal issues and internal forces, you know, whether it's HR or, you know, financial problems or mm -hmm. uh, whatever the, the flavor of the day and whatever that stress is for that particular company. And the one common theme that I really started to, to recognize in a lot of businesses is, is sort of a lack of management framework or some type of mm -hmm. standardized approach. And, you know, you, you, the story is so common in a lot of cases for, for people where they see uh, the most senior person on the team uh, does really well and then management needs to promote someone. They're like, well, let's take Jerry over here because Jerry's doing really well and make him a manager. And then right. three months later, they struggle with, well, why is Jerry doing so poorly? And the, two, the team is really failing now. And there's sort of this natural disconnect uh, between 
we expect people should be good managers because they're good at their job. And mm-hmm. this was something that I, I started to really recognize is the lack of uh, sort of standardized approach to management. So my personal mission is to make better managers and to really give uh, managers the tools to be successful. Uh, so my history, I've taken um, a ton of different uh, courses and uh, had tons of experience in both enterprise uh, environments as well as small business environments. And all the, the lessons and tools that I've been able to accumulate, I bring that as a mm-hmm. toolbox to be able to apply to other businesses to help them be successful in their business. Oh, excellent. Actually, you know what? It's funny because as you were t- telling our audience that uh, story, uh, a story in my mind came back from my 20s. I was in a course once, and they call what you just described being promoted to your level of incompetency. Exactly. I've heard that expression People- as well. Yeah. <laughs> And it's such a great expression. I remember hearing it in my 20s, and it stuck with me, and I'm very grateful. Later in life, when I uh, my, my interview last week with the Sacred Gifts coach, talking about hiring the gift and not necessarily always the skill set, um, because you can train a skill set, but if someone's mind and, and uh, skill set is not in management or their personality is not there to lead people, they'll be great at their job, and then we promote them, and they're like lost yeah. with, with nothing in their toolbox. Yeah, and you kind of hit on exactly what, what the issue is, is that people have not given the appropriate level of training uh, because you know often the managers and the operators of the business uh, don't know this stuff themselves. You know, They've gotten mm-hmm. by by the skin of their teeth and just you know they, this is their livelihood. They have to fight their way through it, and they usually have a lot more attention towards uh, personal productivity and you know success. They read some books. They go to courses. Uh, so that they manage to accumulate a little more than, than the staff does. But it's difficult mm-hmm. to translate that from someone's head when it's a personal experience. You can't train people based on you know, your 10 years of, of accumulated experience. So that, right. that's exactly you know, what, what, what the issue is, is that um, this is a skill set that needs to be applied and trained to people. It's not something that uh, you know, is, is just sort of uh, grit. You know, there, there's mm-hmm. that necessity for intelligent people within your team that, you know, can act as uh, a standard bearer and a champion for, for the, what you're trying to achieve. But without some level of training, that effort can, you know, uh, can manifest its, uh, itself in completely different ways. Fair enough. And you know what? As you know, my business partner in my other business is my son, and he is an IT person as well on a mine site in South Africa right now. And he went down there, and that's the first thing he noticed in the first two weeks. He had staff that was maybe perhaps being considered let go. And within a month, he had them productive. He says, no one's managing these people. You haven't taught them what they need to do their job. And he was so frustrated, but he, it, you know, getting that fixed was also such a great sense of accomplishment. Now, you and I have lost, uh, not lost touch, but I was not paying attention this last year with everything going on. You've moved. I've moved. I fish babysat. Um, I didn't realize you started your own company. And uh, what led to that? There, you obviously there had to have been a point as you have known me always self-employed even though we worked at Bell together I was a contractor there but you have stepped into that realm of self-employment as well so what took you there yeah it's uh, it was that cumulative experience of wherever I went uh, I always found that that I was I was ended up fixing things you know I sort of this I guess you could call it an obsessive compulsion to uh, to make <laughs> things better uh, so it's funny, you know, before I, I started my own business, I considered myself uh, more an entrepreneur and then you know, the mm-hmm. standard of an entrepreneur. And the reason that I, dis- I kind of made that distinction was that I would go into other people's businesses and figure out how to make them run more efficiently and more effective, either through process or you know, 
uh, better leadership or management structure, whatever the case may be. And in a lot of cases, mm-hmm. it was technology earlier on in my career. So I, I, I think it's really kind of a, a full circle of my career that I started out as an independent consultant working in IT. And the deeper I got into larger organizations, I had an opportunity to participate in management and uh, pretty high level teams, large growth companies, some of the biggest brands in Canada. Uh, uh, but I was an internal employee. And right. the the longer that uh, that I went on working in other businesses, I recognized these are all the same problems that are applied in every other organization. And wherever I went, I would kind of apply the same toolbox and see massive mm-hmm. success, uh, huge jumps in uh, gross margin and you know team morale, huge decreases in employee turnover. So I mm, figured, very expensive for companies. Yeah, absolutely. So why not take that toolbox and apply it to many organizations independently rather than one by one? So, you know, to that mission, I want to make people better managers and make uh, companies more efficient and operate better. So I'm doing That's that on a, on a wider scale than just uh, as an employee in one organization. Okay, so you are taking, my, I was just going to make a comment about the IT background, you are taking this into businesses that are not necessarily IT, I take it then now. Yeah, I mean, the, the sort of the, uh, the, the quip on this is that most, uh, any organization is a tech company now, because technology is so intertwined with the business, you know, you, Fair enough. you can't function without email, you know, the telephone systems are largely run by mm-hmm. computers, most people will have some type of contact management software, all of those pieces, so True to form, technology is everywhere. Uh, so, you know, my background plays well against that in how can I make, uh, apply, in some cases, technology to make a company more efficient. But largely, it is uh, that mission around expanding from just IT companies to more companies as a whole and independent operators and kind of taking okay. that, that same, same tool set. Because businesses are businesses. And that, it's funny, that's actually a theme in my organization, uh, saying, uh, calling IT as a business. And uh, that is something mm-hmm. that is often lost on the operators. They get into it because they love technology. And before they know it, they're running a business and they don't necessarily have the background or the business acumen or skill set. Uh, so... In my line of work with the accountings, I come ac- I've come across that for 27 years. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people have a skill. I, for some reason, I collected a large amount of um, graphic marketing clients when I was younger. Not one of them knew how to run a business, but they had a gift. So they went off on their own. Yeah. So the trick I take it is make sure you hire the people that can get these things done for you. Because and in this case, I had clients that I worked with like this and thinking outside the box it's kind of the same deal. What is surprising me with what you're saying in this interview right now is that IT is still such a black hole for so many businesses. So there's a part of me that said that's hearing what you're saying. IT isn't necessarily that little teeny division out on the side that, you know, runs autonomously and everyone just goes to them when their windows wasn't working or they can't get their email to work. It is an integrated part of the business now. And I'm really seeing that more and more. Like you say, there's nothing that we do in our businesses that doesn't involve IT. There's nothing I do in either of my businesses that does not involve this computer, my tablet, my phone, something to do with the cloud. You know, it's just always there. It's got a completely integral part. But is there still that bit of disconnect? People just are not focusing or realizing that how that integrated that is yeah absolutely you know it's it used to be that if there was a problem with the networks or the computer systems that uh you know people would be frustrated because they couldn't send email but the you know they'd tell someone to be like oh okay i guess there's a problem then they go sit down and go work on something else 
Now, as soon as there's an issue with the network or the computer systems, it's like gophers. People pop up over their, their desks and start staring at each other like, are you having a problem? Are you having a problem? And it becomes in this instantaneous ripple. And the, dis- mm-hmm, the difference is, is now people stop. They have nothing to do because if their computer isn't working, then there's very little that they can actually transact on. It's not that they can sit down and actually do the stuff on paper. Uh, right. And, you know, some some cases like retail, you know, you may go into those those stores where like, sorry, our system's down. We'll have to fill out this form, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, old chart check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it happened to me about three months ago. It was kind of funny. Right. I didn't even know they made them still. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it, it's true that, that, you know, all businesses are incredibly dependent on technology. But there's a, there's definitely a difference in the awareness of that from the standpoint of the owners and the operators. Some mm-hmm. have gotten quite savvy around this, and you know, I deal a lot with uh, IT service companies and managed service providers that their business is uh, providing a better technology platform to those uh, those operators. And the, the best ones are the ones that you recognize there's going to be a partnership because they see technology as a strategic advantage for them. The others, okay. they just look at it as you know, this black hole where they have to spend, uh, send more money. Uh, That's been my experience until this last few years. IT is always the resentful budget. Yeah, it's and in, and hopefully it's budgeted for. It's amazing to me how many times you deal with a large organization. It's a multi-million dollar organization that has no IT budget. You know, you you go to meet with them and they and you say, well, what's your budget? And they say, well, I, I don't know. Uh, hang on, let me look. And they go and dig up some numbers, and all they give you is a spend for last year. So it's completely reactive. Like, how can you hmm. how can you approach your business and one of the, the most fundamental components of your cash flow? Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, cash shock. So you know, server crashes or you need some new equipment. Okay, here's a forty thousand dollar bill that you have not budgeted for, right? So right. people really need to start to be uh, become strategic about how technology integrates with their business because this trend is certainly not changing. Okay. No, I can see that. And now that I have started up uh, this company, Living Well with Shell, and doing the podcasting and taking my accounting career into a totally different direction, I can't ignore it anymore. There's a web. I have to have a website for retail things and and signups and contacts and CMRs. And it's like, oh, I don't want to learn to do that. <laughs> but there's no avoiding it. I couldn't I literally move forward without having those things. And I'm just a small, you know, small organization. What are some of the typical failures that you do see in management? You've definitely touched on a, on a couple of them through our last little bit of conversation, but what are some of your main things that you see all the time in your line of work? One of the biggest ones that I, I find is if people don't have a tool set, they, they uh, usually try to fall back to role power. Um, you know, they try a bunch of different things in trying to motivate staff and get people accountable to what they're supposed to deliver. Uh, and mm-hmm. they end up frustrated because, you know, what they've asked for is either not being done or not being done in the correct way, whatever the case may be. And there's a distinction between relationship power, role power, or expertise power. And these are sort of the the three different uh, roles that uh, uh, leaders can use in uh, in directing staff. And Mm -hmm. far too often, people fall back to role power, which is essentially, I'm your boss, I can fire you, you do what I tell you. And this uh, this has the shadow effect of having short-term results. Right. Because people yes. will panic and be like, oh, my God, the boss is really upset. We, we you know, we better do this. Uh, and, but the more and more that you start to you know, whack that that roll power stick over someone's head, they they become immune to it. And where you're going to have a lot more successes as as a manager or as a leader is to use ro- relationship power. 
so that you've built a relationship with your staff. They trust you. They have an idea of what the direction of the company is, and they understand how their actions fit within the goals of the company. And that will develop a great, more, a much greater uh, term of success than just being able to, you know, whack people at the knees and get them to to jump when you say jump. I agree. Yes. No. Yeah. We've all worked in the well. I did, being a little bit older. I've worked in the '80s, <laughs> and that that was very much the mentality back then. Um, I've noticed really in my 30-year career that that uh, that mentality has definitely shifted. Um, but you still see it, mm-hmm. you, you know, like you just described, you see it all the time. Yep. Uh, and I think that, you know, you, you touched on something that I think this is where people talk a lot about millennials. And uh, mm-hmm. that is probably where one of those places where that stands out is uh, a younger generation's uh, tolerance for authoritarian boss structure is mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Uh, no, I have noticed that having the new younger staff myself. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting part is, is that using relationship power works equally well with both groups. You know, the Gen Ys, the Gen Xs, the Boomers, the Millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, people love to have a relationship with, with their boss, and, and that will always bring you better results. Uh, so it's, you know, I sometimes have to sort of plug my nose when people talk about how you manage Millennials. The, the truth of it is, <laughs> is, it's no different. They have different needs. They have uh, sort of a different view of the world. But you know, if you have a correct management style, these things work out naturally with all parties, and that that I think is one of the the distinction advantages of using uh, a relationship based management system. So this is still going to tie into the the social structure, how we're sort of wired as human beings versus how we were raised and what generation we were raised in. We still have a need to connect. Exactly. Yeah. The, we just want to be beat up with a stick over it. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people know uh, Simon Sinek. He's the the author of uh, of uh, of uh, Why. And um, oh, that's right. Yes, yeah, pretty, pretty famous uh, business author. Yes. And one of my favorite books um, uh, is from him is uh, uh, Leaders Eat Last. And it talks a lot about sort of the, the social cohesion and the tribal system, you know, how uh, we've evolutionarily adapted and how that's relevant to modern day business and team management. And it, it mm-hmm. hits on exactly that, that if people feel safe and secure, within sort of their tribal structure inside an organization, then they're looking to defend against the external threats, not the internal threats. And nothing becomes more toxic than when people turn in and start to fight with each other or, you know, Mm -hmm. through hierarchy structures or, you know, whatever that that internal strife is. Uh, You know, you need to be worried about your competitors. You need to be concerned with your customers, not focusing on you know, what Sally did two rows over and, you know, what this person right. said to me in, in the lunchroom, uh, that stuff is incredibly toxic. So, yeah. No, I've experienced it and uh, I can, can, couldn't agree more. It's just not a place you want to be and people are always looking for a way out instead of how to build a team and, and, and stay in. Yep. You're always in the lunchroom listening to someone talk about looking elsewhere. I don't want to be here anymore. And like we mentioned earlier in the interview, being an accounting background, staff turnover is grossly expensive. Yep. Uh, and if people aren't, if some companies aren't budgeting for IT departments, they certainly aren't doing the, at least in my experience, they aren't doing the calculation for what it costs them to get someone up and trained and kept within their organization. It's just, 
tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars with high-end people. Yeah, and that, that's why you – know, <laughs> That's money right down the toilet. Sort of, what I would say is the two best measures of uh, the success of uh, a management person is uh, uh, management is about getting results from people. So you have to be able to measure the performance of the team and what results you're getting from your staff. And the, uh, the second is the, the retention of that staff, right? Uh, for mm-hmm. exactly that point, that if you're going to have um, uh, uh, staff on salary, that's a huge expense. If you're going to have staff that rotates and becomes useless and affect, you know, basically their, their, their annual salary plus 20% as, as a mm-hmm. rotation cost. And those are the things that you need to be able to control either as an operator of a business or as a manager of a team. That you know your 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 staff is motivated and producing results, and that you know they're not they're not quitting. Um, and a good expression that I've heard recently about this is that people don't quit companies; they quit managers. And I think there's a yes. huge truth to that, right? That people will tolerate a lot, but if they feel that they have a, a toxic relationship with their boss, it's more than likely the thing that will make them get up off their chair and leave. Everything else they can kind of yes. tolerate. But that's one that will will sour a relationship and send people packing pretty quickly. I have a dear friend, and uh, he's in the IT business. And when we get together once a year for our annual barbecues, that is what he tells me. If there is a business that he has been involved in, when you have seen 17 people in one department walk out within a 12-month period, it's usually the manager. And that cost to the company is huge, but the companies won't replace the manager. They're letting 17 people walk out of their organization, but the one person that's causing it, they don't deal with, which will lead me, which you've just actually started talking about, quick tips on being more efficient and more effective. And you definitely have touched on some of that. How would you like to expand on that particular? Sure. Yeah, the, uh, the big one I, I kind of touched on it is, is measurement. So mm-hmm. uh, another uh, one of my favorite uh, business authors is Peter Drucker. And my for- favorite quote from him is, what gets measured gets managed. And this is why yes, I'm huge I like that. on metrics, right? So uh, what are your people trying to achieve overall? So setting kind of this corporate goal. Uh, what are your people achieving on an annual basis? What are they achieving on a quarterly basis? And therefore, what are they achieving on a weekly basis? Uh, you can get down to daily depending how, on how transactional the work is, how high, mm-hmm. high volume it is. But the management should always have an eye on what are the metrics that I'm managing my people with? Uh, and inversely, people as uh, independent contributors should always be aware of, you know, what are my metrics that I'm, I'm using. So this applies both to, you know, a multinational billion dollar organization, but it also applies to a sole operator with an online business. You know, analytics are huge for online businesses. And it's for the same reason that you need to understand whether or not you're moving the meter on something. So uh, if you're managing a team, are you increasing the results and asking your team to contribute more and, and measuring that and being able to demonstrate some success in what you're enacting for process change or your leadership style? Uh, the same for the independent operator. You know, how many, how many hits did I get to the site? How many engagements did I get on social? How many sales visits did I make? Uh, how, you know, did I hit quota this, this month, whatever those metrics are, you need to know what those metrics are and move them on a weekly basis. No, fair enough. And is this, Todd, this is a little bit of an, an offside, and I apologize if it's an ignorant question, but is this a little bit why smaller businesses, Google Analytics and things like this are gaining in such huge popularity because people want to know what interaction they're getting out there in the marketplace? I would 100% agree. One of the most okay. sort of uh, game-changing events 
that that happens for me when I'm engaging when I'm working with a new client is uh, as I say I'm huge on metrics and for the mid-sized organizations I love installing dashboards so these are actual TVs that get hung up on the wall with uh, with a, a, a dis- physical display of the, the mm-hmm. metrics in the organization. So it, oh, it wow. draws off of the data for in whatever systems they're utilizing and hopefully gets updated basically in real time. Um, this works particularly well in IT service organizations because, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, servers down, you know, mm-hmm. a number of tickets opened by uh, support by uh, support clients, those types of, of numbers change pretty quickly. And if you hang that on the wall and tell everyone, these are the numbers, this is what I expect to see, and if anything turns red, someone needs to get on it. And this is a game-changing moment for a lot of people when before they kind of had to go by feel, like I think okay. I'm doing well, I think the team is performing, and then all of a sudden the numbers are exposed on a public basis and everyone kind of gets it. And every, it helps everyone clue in on exactly what they should be doing because your actions affect those numbers, either positively or negatively. So it, it's sort of that, that business implementation of, of what you see people gravitating towards um, in, in having the, that analytics. Because, uh, you know, in, uh, especially that, that online business, if you're just screaming into the darkness, you may feel great about what you're doing, but are you producing any results? So it's important right. to have that measure around that. Uh, so unless you know you're in some cases when you're getting started, um, you may not have sales right away, but you may notice that you're generating interest, and that can be uh, really beneficial and motivating for people, right? Well, that's driving that bell curve. I mean, when when we talk about uh, businesses going along at a certain level as you're building that sort of baseline, and then it'll spike. But without that build, and if you're not monitoring it, that spike's never going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's just preparation, and people need to understand that when they're in businesses. Yeah, and both for the again for the small business as well as the mid-sized businesses, uh, if you're trying to affect some change, and or you know changing something, or you're starting a new business and and trying to generate some interest, uh, mm-hmm. then you know those numbers are incredibly important because otherwise, how do you know what's working and what isn't? So you change a certain metric, maybe you you do you know a Facebook campaign as an independent operator, and all of a sudden you see a spike in interest and and some hits and some clicks on on your website. Great, okay. that's a demonstration that that worked. That's why the metrics are important. Same goes for the management of the staff. If you implement some new process uh, for mm-hmm. the team, you need to first check if they're doing it and you know uh, what effect that has on all of the other metrics within the organization. So is this a positive change both from a process and a, and a productivity standpoint, but also from a morale standpoint? Are you checking with your staff? Do they understand why? Are you getting negative feedback mm-hmm. on, on this stuff not working or, you know, it's arduous, I don't understand this, right? So always having an eye on on, on those metrics and, and what the impact is, that's why you measure them to begin with, right? Fair enough. And actually, uh, that was an, you made a comment about negative feedback. And I know this is maybe not quite within your line of expertise, but I podcasted on this for our, view, uh, for our listeners um, a few weeks back. That negative feedback is very important. I believe it's important. I was talking it more from a uh, customer to a company. If a company does not know they're not keeping you happy, they need to know about it. And a good company will usually find a way to fix it. A bad company will not. Is it the same thing with staff? Is that your experience with staff? Yeah. So how do you how do you find negative feedback in the workplace? So I guess? Uh, both um, uh, on on the 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 for the uh, management, I, I often say you can't fix something if you don't know it's a problem. And right. so often it's really troubling where 
uh, you can see uh, behind the scenes staff are kind of chatting amongst each other about the issues that they they're frustrated with, but they mm -hmm. don't actually bring it up to management. And this is for several different reasons. Often it's because they've made an effort in the past and uh, that you know, that feedback either wasn't actioned on or it mm -hmm. was dismissed. And that that becomes uh, an issue where they're like, well, they didn't listen to me the first time. So obviously they don't care. And they begin to yeah, tell a feels, story. That feels the culture of no trust now right, in the company. Right, trust, exactly. And if they don't feel that they, they uh, get some result from giving you that feedback, then they're not going to give you the feedback to begin with because they're putting themselves on the line in just telling you that. A lot of people don't sort of get this relationship between staff and boss that, uh, you know, uh, giving feedback, especially in a negative context, they know that they're going on on a limb and potentially pissing you off. So <laughs> if, if, if they see that nothing was done with it, that almost reinforces the story that they're telling themselves, right? So you have to be really right. careful about um, how this, how this, uh, how this happens. And one of the ones that I think is really toxic is where people put out the staff survey and then mm -hmm. and I've seen this in a number of organizations. They put out a staff survey and then they start reviewing the results and they're arguing with the people based on the input that they've received, right? That they not not physically, but they start no, reading through yeah. the results and they're like, oh, this is garbage. They don't just don't they just don't understand. Is this like justifying in your own mind? Exactly, right? Okay. They're they're trying to justify <laughs> their own worldview in opposition to what their staff is telling them. And in so many cases, the staff are much closer to the issues than the mm. than the, the management or the leadership are. And, you know, there's some of this stuff, you know, I, I'm a big uh, believer of the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. Yes. Okay, so everything applies uh, under the 80-20 rule. And 20% of the feedback that you get is pure garbage. And it's a story that a person is telling themselves, but uh, it ha doesn't have a huge bearing in truth. It's simply kind of their own worldview. 80% of what you get back, you need to take very seriously and at least produce some action on it. So if anyone ever does those staff surveys, I always have them. Uh, do some type of uh, either um, email response addressing the issues or even better in certain circumstances to do a bit of a town hall and address the feedback directly. Because in a lot of cases, if you don't have an intent to change something based on the mm -hmm. feedback that you received, you at least owe it to the people to tell them why, right? And explain oh, why a certain situation is. So, so people would say, you know, well, this client is really terrible to us. We don't like them and we don't think that they're a good business partner. Um, but, you know, if you explain to them that, uh, you know, I've spoken to the CEO and they've agreed to do the uh, the changes that, that we've, uh, we're trying to enact in this organization and, you know, it, it will probably take three months and maybe there's this really toxic manager that, you know, is on their way out, but they don't know quite what to do with them. There's all, all of right. these stories that the staff don't know. All they see is that, you know, uh, this client, this client that we have is terrible and, you know, management refuses to get rid of them. We don't, we don't know why. Right. <laughs> so it, Fair enough. Yeah. And you and I have both seen those in our line of work in the past. Yep. <laughs> why are they still here? Exactly. <laughs> are you seeing a change? Are you, see, uh, you know, in your experience now, um, I'm definitely seeing a change, but I have a couple more years uh, on you, but you work in a very specific line of work you have the IT background, so you've been watching. You have to understand. I come from a uh, generation where there was no computers. I was, you know, when I started my bookkeeping business, that was the very first time there was computerized bookkeeping. It was one right system before that. So I've walked through this. Are you seeing more awareness in the workforce now? Now that we've had, you know, 40 years of technology, and the last 20 have just been explosive. It's changed every 
every aspect of our lives. I watch TV even, and we joke at which phone the actors are holding as to when the movie was made. <laughs> so we've watched the technology change. Has our mentality and our awareness changed to go along with it? Are we, are we more open? Like the things you've been talking about in this interview are, are awareness-based. They are uh, learning to, to speak to your employees, employers, management, how to find those gifts in people, how to find their, their strengths, and how to give the positive feedback Make sure the, the, um, that we're analyzing everything. For me, it was always cash flow and budget. You know, what are you doing going out and starting a business? If you haven't created your budget, you don't know what you need to spend. You, if you're not managing your cash flow, you may have sold the world, but if no one's paid you, you have no money to spend. So those were sort of my areas that, that I kind of brought into the workforce, but you're coming at it from a little bit different standpoint. Have you noticed a difference in the last decade? I think so. I, I, I think uh, the younger generation is a little more attuned to this. Uh, I think the boomer generation, uh, we, as we talked about, work was work. And you didn't bring yes. sort of a personal identity to it. It was, it was where you went and collected a paycheck and you went home and that was your life. Uh, I think that part is bringing that awareness to the modern workplace where the younger generation is a lot more attuned to what the, brings them satisfaction in their life. And that has an importance in both their personal and their work life. The boomer generation, work was work is where you went and collected a paycheck and then you went home and lived your life. And right. so much more nowadays, people will opt to work in an organization that makes them feel that they're doing something for the world and that, mm -hmm. you know, the culture is great. The culture is such a hot term in business now, whereas before that really wouldn't have mattered. People didn't care. You know, they may not have liked the people that they work with, but that was not relevant to you know them having a stable job and a steady income and, and feeling some level of success and being able to support their family. Now, right. people are willing to take a pay cut to work with a cool group of people that have some mission that they believe in. And I think that's sort of the level of, of awareness that is coming to business. And it certainly does translate to uh, the management and, and the team framework because you, know, you have to be more sensitive to these things. Uh, it used to be yes. that if people just wanted to come and punch a clock, then great. As long as you know they were there, you paid them for their attendance. And this is something mm -hmm, that right. drives me crazy about modern businesses. Without those metrics and those management uh, methodologies for their staff, people are effectively paying for for attendance. And you know they get so sensitive around whether or not someone shows up five minutes late, late or takes off twenty minutes early. Uh, what, yet they have no awareness about what that person is producing on a day-to-day -day basis. Maybe they were incredibly productive for six hours last night and they, they knocked off 30 minutes early today. Does that really matter? Why is it so important for them to sit in that chair for you to feel that you're, you're getting some value for paying them? So I think right. a lot of those, are, are, those situations are a shift. And you know, the, the, the development of kind of the, I guess what you would call the self-help movement is, is also evolving. Uh, okay. People uh, are just sort of have this, this uh, much higher sense of awareness of themselves and how they fit in the world. So I think mm -hmm. that that needs to be recognized in, in its level of impact in business and uh, people's personal productivity as well. Right. I remember when I was younger, and actually I podcasted on this a few weeks back. My, my listeners will probably remember this story. My father comes from a generation where he truly believed that he went to work, and if his boss told him to dig the hole and plant the tree upside down, he did it. Well, it was funny because I came from that father who was also self-employed, um, but it was middle age in life. 
I've always been self-employed. There's not a chance that I'm digging a hole and <laughs> putting that tree in upside down. But I'm 51, and that was sort of an odd attitude 30 years ago. So I want to work for myself so I could choose who I worked for because I was having those problems. I'm finding there's more people like me now out there. The millennials especially, they're very much younger, and some of their issues, or as people like to call them the issues, I think some of it is good. I don't think it's all negative. I think there's a lot of – I love the awareness. I love the fact that – you do want to be part of, they do want to be part of something. And the things that motivate them, I think, are positive. No one should be planting a tree upside down in a hole just because some idiot told you to. <laughs> but that's just my belief system. Yeah. I guess you were ahead of your time, Shelley. <laughs> yeah, that must have been it. Yeah, I make a really bad employee, I'm not going to lie. It, <laughs> that's why I stay self-employed. But you've hit on kind of an interesting point. This, this is something that's been discussed quite a bit and kind of with a growing sense in uh, in the business world that, the uh, uh, that um, there there's sort of this shift towards what people call the gig economy or and or and you know the rise of the freelancer and there's so much more focus on people just you know picking up a gig and working on projects and being brought in as mm -hmm. a specialist and where this comes from is that with kind of the development of technology and and sort of the stratification of how people are applied to work in business that the level of expertise has become so hyper focused that you you can you can hire a contractor or a freelancer to work on a very specific portion of the business or a very specific portion of of a project and I, the 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 discussion is is that this idea will grow much much bigger in the future and there's expectation that even in the near term by 2020 i think 40% of the workforce will be engaged in some type of freelance activity either that they're working on a side hustle and developing their own business online or on the side yeah. in some way, or that they're a pure free freelancer and that they, they're an independent organization that contracts to other companies. And this is a, a massive growth space, and you see it you know, all over the place. That's why you and I kind of do the things that we do and connect on podcasts and, and, mm -hmm. and chat with other people because there's this, this massive community that continues to grow because people want to focus on what brings them value in their life and want to bring value to others. And that becomes ultra-focused so that you can become a specialist. No, fair enough. Now, my question to you about that, though, is let's look at the pro and con of that. Is there a con side to this? Because where, where you and I tend to excel and, and uh, where my son is doing very well with some of his background in IT is the outside-the-box thinking. He had a lot of education before he focused on his IT, some of it right into blue-collar welding, things like that. But when he walks onto a mine site and that cage needs to be fixed and he's the IT geek, he's like, I can do that. Just give me a second. I got it handled. Um, are we going to be losing some of that outside-the-box thinking with all the specialization, do you think? Or is there a place for both of it as long as there is someone on staff that can talk that language across the board? And again, that's why you and I work so well together at Bell. I may have been the accountant, but I understood sales and marketing. You were the IT geek. You understood sales and marketing. So we had a common language. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think there's definitely some cons to it that, you know, there's a, there's a serious lack of stability uh, around that that. Uh, that type of work style in being a contractor. Mm. And it's not for everybody. It's great for young people that don't have encumberments and ties around having a family and having to support a mortgage and those types of things. And usually okay. they can get by and they can kind of scrimp if they need to. Once you're a bit older, it becomes a little dicey. And it's not for everyone. That is for absolute sure. Uh, but you know that part really hasn't changed. Uh, and I think we'll still see a blend because even okay. in, in teams and organizations, people often get frustrated with someone that they recognize so much potential in. And they're like, oh, you know, 
uh, you know, Bob, if he could just do a little bit more, just apply himself, he'd be he'd be a rock star, right? Problem right. is, you know, Bob's perfectly content doing what he's doing, and he doesn't place sort of the same type of entrepreneurial value on his work in that organization. You know, maybe he loves fishing on the weekend, and that's that's really where his brain is at. He co- and mm-hmm. it, it's sort of again like why I don't like to necessarily segregate people into those generational styles because there are those younger people that act a lot more uh, in the traditional values of you know, hey, I'm here to work. You know, I'm not here to, to change the world. Uh, I like what right. I do. I like the people that I work with. But, um, you know, for me, being great at good at my job is good enough. And being excellent is just not something I'm interested in. And that's okay. Fair enough. Uh, yep. The other half of that is, is you know, the generalist. Uh, you know, uh, this is particularly relevant in IT that uh, it used to be that being a generalist was great, especially in small business environments, because you could kind of do everything. You work on the servers, you work on the networks, you work on uh, the the desktops and help people mm-hmm. with software. Uh, and as you grew into the enterprise, you had to choose a focus and become an expert. And that part is now going away as well. Is uh, oh. yeah, it's a, how so? So it's called. Uh, uh, the DevOps model, where you know so much uh, around IT is done in in software development, and it used to be that d- software developers were very distinct from the systems operators. So people would build the computer systems and the server systems and the network systems that ran all of the the infrastructure, and the devs mm-hmm. would just write code and build on top of that. And uh, a lot more now, those those roles are starting to blend into this DevOps model. Um, and it, it, I guess part of the reason why is that the the infrastructure is becoming com- commoditized in the cloud and you know you you just click on amazon web services and fire up a server and it's ready to go and it's yep. integrated with some cool uh uh you know design software where you can connect it to all kinds of networks and systems around the world so you don't necessarily need this to to send this to you know some windows server admin that that has spent his life just figuring out how to build uh virtual machines to run that that server software so I think right. the same still applies in any organization that uh, anyone who's an independent operator will recognize that you wear eight hats throughout the course of the day. You have to know a little <laughs> bit of finance. You have to know a little bit of management. Yep. You have to know a little bit of HR. You have to little, know a little bit about a sales, right? So there's still the advantage of having that, that, uh, the, the multi-level skill set. Uh, but you know it depends on how you're applied within the organization. And again, coming back to management, it's important to understand, one, what motivates people two, what mm-hmm. they're good at, yes. and three, how you can actually apply them within the scope of the team, right? So many times people will try to support someone's weaknesses instead of playing to their strengths. And this is the, that, that's a failure, right? You, it, it, it takes a tribe, it takes a village to, to, to get this stuff done. Figure out what people are good at and how you can apply those independent skill sets within the context of the team, and everyone will benefit from it. No, that is brilliant advice. I just, I know our listeners really, really appreciate that. In closing, is there anything in your line of work that you think our listeners might want to hear? Let's let's narrow it down to business people because this podcast will definitely attract this, the, the business owner. I have a certain demographic that listens. And what would you t- say to someone that's just starting out a newer business, you know, under five employees? What would be one of your first pieces of advice? I think getting that management structure and understanding how you actually manage your staff is incredibly important for a small business owner because uh, the rule that I apply is that teams should never be bigger than six to eight people. And the reason why is that you can't maintain 
strong relationships with a much larger group of people. So what people tend to struggle with in small organizations is they're, they're growing in kind of this entrepreneurial, fast-paced environment, wearing those multiple hats, is they start to tip past that eight, uh, eight staff within the organization. That's mm-hmm. a tipping point where they're going to start to feel run off their feet because they can't ma- yes. maintain the relationships and manage all of those people. And that's where we start to see you know, the most senior person gets promoted to management. And, you know, coming back to sort of where we started in this, that if you don't get those systems in place early, they become a lot more difficult to ingrain into the culture. So early on, Ah, figure out what uh, is going to be a part of your operational and your management uh, DNA so that that grows with the company and is not something you have to bolt on after the fact. So that that's a, a big part of the the work that I I really enjoy doing with organizations is where are you where do you want to be and what's the roadmap mm-hmm. to figure out how to get there and that that's a large part of why I, I named uh, my company Evolved is is it's really about evolving from where you are to what you want to be based on your independent DNA uh, because every organization will be slightly different in how they develop and what makes them unique and special. But all of them can lend from uh, the, uh, the success systems that are well-established in other organizations. And being able to apply that to yourself early and be able to set, set yourself up for success means that you don't have to struggle through the demands of an independent operator trying to reform a company on the fly. Right. As- and I've been through that, so we know how uncomfortable we are. We all know someone that's been through it, and they're just like, ow, what are they doing to us? They're making changes. I don't want to change. Because sometimes it almost seems like it happens too late. So you're kind of saying, you know, pre-plan, you know, know where you're going in advance, get it implemented, and bring in someone like yourself (laughs) right from the beginning. There's nothing I hate more as as an accounting professional than seeing someone shoebox two years down the road. Okay, It's like, can I set you up out of the gate, please, to make sure this is handled? Yeah, and that's that's the same sort of thing as what you're saying. That's a big part of it. Often what I bring uh, as a unique benefit is perspective. You know, I understand how businesses run. I understand what works and what doesn't. And Mm -hmm. just being able to read the label from outside the bottle is often extremely helpful for people because they get stuck in, uh, in, inside that bottle and can't really see the world outside of it. And they begin to tell themselves stories, rightly or wrongly, about you know, the, what that uh, situation looks like and why they're in the situation with, that they're in. And having an outside perspective to be able to come in and chat with them and say, look, all of this is great. If you do these three or four things, then you can have tremendous success. You know, you don't have to fire this person. They're probably just looking for some support. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, this business over here, this the business unit is probably struggling. It needs some support um, and, and make some changes. Uh, all of these things are much, much easier to view from an external perspective. And just being able to bring out you know, some outside uh, advice is incredibly helpful for, for people, even if it's not a long-term engagement. Right. I've always sort of considered business almost like a marriage. It's like sometimes counseling's just needed. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes being that outsider looking in, people just look at you and go, oh, I didn't think about that. Because they were lost in their own perspective and they're lost in their own day-to-day grind. And especially if time has gone by, like you said, and they didn't put it in advance, put things in, uh, in place in advance, that rut has already started to develop. And getting out of that rut is really hard for people. How, does, how do people reach you? So uh, best place to um, uh, be on the website, evolvedmanagement.com. Uh, it's evolvedmgmt.com. Okay. Uh, or on Twitter, I'm at Todd A. Kane, K-A-N-E. 
So you can hit me up Excellent. in both those spots and uh, always looking to engage with people um, and uh, provide some assistance in making their business more successful and their teams uh, more productive. Excellent. Well, we have so, I am so grateful for having you on the show today. Thank you so much for your time. And I trust things are just going to be great in the future. I, I wish you the best of luck. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Shelley. Thank you for joining me here today. And if you subscribe to my podcast, you won't miss a thing. Remember to focus on not living in regret. You can reach me on Twitter at livingwell8 or email me at livingwellwithshell at gmail.com. Let me know what you liked best about today's podcast, leave a review on iTunes, or leave me a message on something you'd like me to speak on next. Have a great day, everyone.